All right, welcome back to My Spouse Made Me Watch It. I'm Justin. And I'm Katie. And this is a show where we make one of the one of us. <laughs> we make one of us watch a movie for the first time that the other person has already seen. And enjoy. And enjoy. So uh, today's movie, I'm making you watch Snowpiercer. Are you excited? I am excited. So we decided to do this because I had just pressed play on the Netflix. As I was walking into the room. And you're like, no, save it. I was like, hey, I like that movie. Wait, let's save it. Let's let's watch it. Mm-hmm. And so we put it to the top of the list so that you can watch that Snowpiercer. Yep. I am excited. So given you've seen the first couple of minutes... I know. (laughs) (laughs) What do you know about the movie? Spoiled it for myself. Um, So what I know about this movie from... Probably an awful lot that you wouldn't have known before. That's true. Before... um, What did you think it was about? um, I, I don't think it told me anything that I didn't already kind of know about the movie. Um, So I already knew it was about, it was like a post-apocalyptic movie and that all these people were kept on a train and that was um, like separated by class. So like the Mm. poor people are at the back of the train Mm -hmm. and the wealthy people are at the front of the train. Um, And that's basically what I knew about it. Uh, But I think I assumed it was like in some sort of like separate, like I thought it was set in some worlds, like totally separate from our own where Mm. society had been developing on a train for years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) for like generations and generations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) People have been on this train. Um, That this is, isn't like it didn't come out of like the world as we know it now it was just like some other totally total fantasy world in which humans had been on a train for generations and generations uh but in the first few minutes of snowpiercer it is revealed that climate change is real in case you didn't know Mm -hmm. and that some sort of dennis quaid day after tomorrow scenario has happened and it's like a second ice age Mm -hmm. and everybody had to get on the train for their own survival the only people left are the people on this train which leads me to a lot of questions Mm -hmm. how did they build this train was the train already there how did they like retrofit a train to sustain human life these are great questions. When Dennis Quaid is like about to get frozen, how does any of this happen? That's true. Also, where's the train going? Because like when I thought when I thought it was this totally separate world, unlike anything in our real existence, I imagined this train that just like maybe didn't even necessarily need a track. Maybe it wasn't even really like a train as we know a train to be. And it was just like going around and around the entire globe. Mm. But if it is a train, as we know a train to be, where's the train going? Where did the train come from? Mm -hmm. Who's maintaining these tracks during this apocalypse? It's a really good question. 
So that's that's where I'm at with Snowpiercer. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> well, you do know an awful lot for the start of Snowpiercer. Okay. <laughs> Did I know an awful lot before I watched the first few minutes? Is that on the? Was I on the right track? I th- I think so. I think okay. you're you're doing a good job. All right. Uh, we shall see. Now, given what you know and what you've accidentally seen, what are your predictions for Snowpiercer? All right, my predictions for Snowpiercer. Hmm. Well, I think there's probably definitely going to be some sort of like rebellion where the people at the back of the train start working their way to the front of the train, mm-hmm. killing the bourgeoisie on their way. Um, the, the plight of the proletariat. Yep, the plight of the proletariat. Um, I wonder if the poor people at the back of the train also have to like have some responsibility as far as the maintenance mm. of the... Like, you know, like, are they, like, the little guys in the Titanic, like, shoveling the coal into mm-hmm. the... <laughs> um, in which case, there might be, like, an added conflict of... As the, like, higher class people want to, like, keep them in their place, also realizing that they have to placate them enough because they're the ones keeping the apocalypse train rolling. So maybe mm-hmm. they, like, realize the power that they have as the ones who are actually doing the maintenance on the train, maybe. Um, I wonder if there's going to be any sort of uh, movement on, like, the existential crisis of, like, humanity is Mm. coming to an end or if the conflict is just going to stay around, like, taking control of the train or if there's going to be any movement on, like, at some point we have to get off the train. Like, what are we going to do when that happens? Um, I'm guessing there's some kind of big reveal at some point because as I was trying to find an IMDb review, almost all of them are hidden for spoilers, so I'm thinking that there must be some sort of a uh, big reveal in this movie. This movie is also isn't as old as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was older, but it was only in 2013. So, yeah, I remember when it came out, I, I, I had heard like nothing about it until somebody that I know was like, hey, I'm. I want to go see that new movie Snowpiercer. I was like, what, what's that about? So I didn't even know, I didn't knew nothing about it except that it was like a sci-fi movie and it had Chris Evans in it. And I was like, huh, interesting. So then I went and was like, wow, like that was unique. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> interesting. It was different interesting from, reaction. It was different from, movies different from movies general interesting so do you have an imdb review 
Um, I don't really have an IMDb review because, like I said, almost everything says spoilers. Everything says warning spoilers, so I don't want to. Okay, well here, let like, me. There weren't this many reviews tagged warning spoilers for Fight Club. For I was gonna say Inception, but I think I'm just gonna read some of the uh, headlines. Headlines. Okay. <laughs> All right. So it seems like people fall into two camps. Of either being like super put off by the plot holes, lots of the, lots of the the headlines, for the low rated ones are like plot holes. This one calls it a pothole, uh, illogical, too many what moments. Uh, so that makes me think that I might never get an answer to where the train came from. Where's the train going? Mm. Who's maintaining these tracks? think that might just be <laughs> dust in the wind <laughs> of just this like movie. the rest of humanity just like the rest of humanity <laughs> yep um somebody said much better than i expected train wreck after that <laughs> <laughs> i love the the wildly swinging opinions uh-huh. much better than i expected it was a train wreck, wreck. yeah <laughs> that's kind of Oh, somebody calls out the other reviewers, and their headline is, for most of the one-star reviewers, this is their only review. The real nail in the coffin. Uh, They did the research. But then it starts with, so this is a nine-star review from Colt-28101. And they said, let's get this out of the way. Yes, this is my first review. So they call out the first time reviewers uh, and then reveal that this is in fact their first review as well. How do we know that that person hasn't done all of the reviews that are first time reviews? Just new accounts, new accounts. New ca- He's arguing with himself. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but he gives himself, he, he lets us know that he is uh, worthy of being listened to by letting us know that he has watched about half of IMDb's top 250 and Mm. did like most of them. (laughs) Well, there's some credentials right there. Comparing Snowpiercer to The Room, don't watch that in parentheses, because you couldn't tell how someone would have an Irish accent or realize that the premise of this movie is brutal and inconvenient, is kind of realizing the problem with 99% of all movies altogether. Hmm. I don't understand that. (laughs) Okay, then. For anyone brutally bothered about plot holes, tell me, is Ant-Man more logical? Even Inception, The Dark Knight, or Lord of the Rings? You can't blame a movie for plot holes. Rate it a one and then ignore these same plot holes in every other movie in existence. Mm. By that token, any and all of the Star Wars movie should be rated a two. (laughs) (laughs) only in his hypothetical scenario where he says that everything was rated a one he can't quite bring himself to rate star Star wars Wars. a one even hypothetically i like that this guy also seems to think that the exact same plot holes in this movie are replicated in every other film yeah i'm interested i i'm interested yeah, I'm interested because I don't remember walking out of there going, man, so many plot holes. I, I remember walking out going, that was a wholly unique movie. 
I haven't seen like th- this. Like it, it, it was like back into like ah, uh, why I love going to the movies. Like, like I'm so sick of the Marvel universe. Uh huh. Like, Endgame was fine. Whatever the one before that was fine. Like they're all fine, but like I haven't seen a Marvel movie in a long time that I felt like. Wow, that was really unique and interesting and I like was genuinely like just absorbed into that movie. Uh-huh. And uh like this was this like was one of those that I walked out of the movie feeling like that. And there's lots of movies that I walk out feeling like that. But I feel like most of the movies that are, are coming out, especially over summertime, uh are like sequels are are live action remakes of animated movies. Uh, it's all stuff that is based around existing IP and not something that like is just like somebody totally its own. Somebody came up with an idea and wrote a script and made a movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Colts twenty eight one oh one gets on later in his review gets on your same train of thought. Oh, train, train of that. Uh, and says, most of the negative reviews here are a one show, leading me to think there's someone with multiple accounts and a large amount of time to hate this movie. <laughs> so Colt thinks that there's a conspiracy on IMDb. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm curious to see what these plot holes are to see if they are as glaring as some people on here think they are or if similarly to cult 28101 it's like eh, it's fine yeah i've seen plot holes of this magnitude and other i films. i feel like too and th- like there's different types of narrators in literature right so you've got like an omniscient third person narrator right a narrator that knows everything about the world Mm -hmm. and like anything that they divulge to you is uh, completely trustworthy and anything that is left unsaid for the most part is basically unimportant to the story. But then you have other narrators that are like of limited perspective. You have sometimes like a third books written in a third person narrative form that isn't omniscient it doesn't know everything it's 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 describing what's happening but it doesn't give you a full picture and i'm curious to see if if like the quote unquote plot holes are people being left with questions that the scope of the movie isn't interested in necessarily answering you know yeah the intent of the movie is not to inform you who is maintaining these train tracks exactly the you intent gotta, isn't you to have to flush suspend out, disbelief right the intent isn't to flush out like all of the intricacies it's just like in star wars everybody loved the original star wars you haven't seen anything past the original no, one I, all i got to go coming on. soon get ready star wars 2 <laughs> <laughs> that was very cute Thank you. Your little hand motions. <laughs> that was me trying to do bow from Superstore, but I'm not very good at it. Uh, so, 
yeah, so I don't want to spoil much, but uh, let's just say that the original trilogy like divulged enough, but like left enough stuff open to where you don't know all of the information. And uh, there's a lot left to the imagination. And part of the reasons people disliked the newer trilogy, like the Our Childhood trilogy, was that it tried to flush out some of the stuff in the universe on broader terms. And a lot of the stuff it was flushing out was like boring. People weren't interested. It was like, <laughs> I thought you wanted more information. It's like, mm, sometimes more information like actually this. isn't what you want. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, it, I'm wondering now to, I guess, adjust my predictions, scrolling through these headers and seeing how they are all almost either nine-star reviews or one-and-two-star reviews. <laughs> They like all of them are either one of those two just about. I'm thinking that maybe this isn't a very plot heavy movie. Like maybe all there is to the plot is that these people are working their way from the back of the train to the front of the train. Mm. But maybe it'll be like a character study through each level of Mm -hmm. the train of like a different darkness of humanity. A Mm -hmm. (laughs) different, um, like Dante's Inferno of a trade mm-hmm. <laughs> each car is a different level of hell or something like that yeah. <laughs> um so yeah so so i'm thinking it's gonna be less plotty and more just like look at the bleakness of humanity how easily we turn into beasts or something like that yeah interesting okay i think those are good all good predictions all right and we got our i guess we'll, we're just revisiting the sentiments of the reviews Yes, just the sentiments of the reviews. Is it a two-star movie or is it a nine-star movie? That's the, those are the options. Those are the options. All right. Well, let's uh, go watch it. You ready? I'm ready. All right. If you want to watch Snowpiercer along with me, it is currently on the Netflix. But if you are listening to this in the future, uh, just search it wherever movies are found. And you can just pause the podcast, leave us right here, and pick us back up when you've watched it. Otherwise, if you don't care about actually watching the movie and just want to hear two people talk about a movie you haven't seen, you can continue on through this little musical interlude. Interlude. All right, we are back. We are back. (laughs) And we watched Snowpiercer. We did. So, Katie, having a bit of time to think about Snowpiercer, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Do you want to run down kind of what Snowpiercer was about, and we'll see how it compares to your original ideas? Yes. Uh, So Snowpiercer, it takes place in a post-apocalyptic near future where uh, in trying to stave off global warming, we have uh, released a a chemical into the atmosphere, uh, which caused it to get much colder than we anticipated, and our world was frozen. Luckily... 
a an eccentric inventor an, an eccentric train connoisseur uh had already put into place his pet project of a luxury train that would go around the world basically in a year um so a f- lucky few uh got onto this train and as far as they know they are the last remnants of humanity on this train going around year after year mm-hmm. um so on this train, uh, there is a very distinct class divide, and the lower class people are kept at the back of the train, and the higher class people are at the front of the train, and the uh, the people at the back of the train are tired of eating bug bars and being kept like sardines in the back of the train uh so they are planning a rebellion uh to fight their way up through the different cars of the train uh which works they assemble a a ragtag team with the um guy who was like the head engineer for all the like security measures on mm-hmm. the train so he knows how to open he's all in, the... like a prison box yeah he's <laughs> in like a prison box and he is addicted to the chemical waste. the post-apocalyptic version of meth which is the train's chemical waste called coronal um so they bust out uh this guy and his daughter and enlist his help in getting them through all the levels of the train um, along the way, they basically everybody dies along the way, uh, including Tilda Swinton, <laughs> mm-hmm. sadly. Um, who is also in this movie. <laughs> who is also in this movie. Um, lots of people die. Lots of pretty grotesque things happen. Lots of whimsical things happen. Uh, and they finally get to the front of the train, and the Wilford, the the eccentric train enthusiast, um, is like, "Oh, this is all a ruse. We need somebody to keep the engine going, and we have selected you, Chris Evans, leader of this train rebellion." Uh, to be the next Wilford, the eccentric train conductor, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is very upset by this knowledge and the knowledge that children are working the gears of this train. Um, literally. Literally. And, and I want to talk about that in a second, but <laughs> continue. Uh, and the guy who, the drug addict slash security engineer whatever he was uh blows up the train it goes off its tracks and as far as we know the only survivors of this terrible train accident is a small child and the security guy's daughter and they see a polar bear the end the end that was quite the synopsis so if you didn't get a chance to watch the movie but wanted to still hear what we talk about uh, hopefully that gave you a picture of what Snowpiercer is about. <laughs> Give you a pretty clear picture. <laughs> <laughs> so I did want to talk about um, uh, your thoughts on it as uh, an allegory. 
yes. So I think as a looking back on the IMDb users comments who were like, this is totally illogical. None of this makes sense. Um, I looked at more of their reviews in full after watching the movie. Uh, and it seems lots of people were complaining about potholes. Yes, potholes. <laughs> um, but it seems like a common complaint was also that the like the way the like design of the characters and the sets as they move through the train like makes no sense. Yeah, it makes no sense in that they it's like there's no like, almost no living space at all for yeah. all these people. <laughs> there's no uh -huh. like washing machines and like dishwashers and, yeah <laughs> we just didn't see that car wilfred has no like we went right we went right through it yep. <laughs> well maybe yeah. one of those drawers pulled out you don't know yeah um and it also seems like people were kind of annoyed that like the the wealth of the people at the front of the train was portrayed in almost like a cartoonish mm -hmm. way which i think like you said it's an allegory it is commentary it's intentionally portrayed yeah. like that disparity between the back of the train and the front of the train was like intentionally pushed to be as like garish looking as mm -hmm. possible uh to really drive home that point about how people who are perceived to have a certain place in society mm-hmm that is smaller or less important is are treated versus the people whose place is at the head of the train. Um, I really like Tilda Swinton's character. Who's like, like it's never explicitly said what she is, but she's basically like the press secretary <laughs> of mm -hmm. Wilford, uh, of the train guy. Um, she has this really good speech about like everybody has to be in their place and your place is at the back of the train yeah. and other people's place is at the head of the train. You and don't wear a shoe on your head. You don't put hats uh -huh. on your feet. And I, it, it kind of reminded me of... And the way she saw herself as like benevolent in that way of helping everybody keep their place reminded me a lot of an episode of another podcast that I listened to called Reveal, um, where they were doing like an investigation into sort of race relations in the South. And they interviewed this older woman who'd been living in, I don't remember which state it was now, but one of those Southern states her entire life. And it was very illuminating for me as they're talking to her and interviewing her, who she doesn't see herself as racist at all. She just thinks that people of color have their place and that she has her place mm. and not There's like a disconnect. Yeah. Between... Uh -huh. She's like, I'm not racist. I, they just have their place. And it really reminded me of that, of like, that is some people's mindset. Like this isn't a bad thing. It, it's just where they belong. <laughs> I just won. So I get to be here. Exactly. You have to stay there. <laughs> yeah. So that's what it reminded me of. So I liked that. Yeah, I think uh, like it's ex explicitly like in the plot, it's about like it has like the the plot is like manufactured from climate change. 
but I think in some ways too, like it's almost allegorizing, like is it allegorizing society for sure? But I there was also moments where I was like, like, like is this about climate change as well? <laughs> like, uh, of who like will trying, suffer the most, like trying to maintain our our lifestyle on this speeding train mm-hmm. that is like insane that everything is working perfectly but like it's slowly becoming more and more unhinged and we have to literally like build our society on the backs of our children Mm -hmm. (laughs) as they slip the children into little compartments of the train that have broken and they are now like a glorified Uh piston moving things from left to right and that's their lot in life i i was really happy that that reveal did happen because it came so late towards the end of the movie that for the majority of the movie I had hypothesized in my (laughs) guess that like I thought we were gonna see the people at the tail of the train like shoveling coal to make the train work and fixing stuff like I thought it was gonna be like they need these poor people to make the train work and function um so because that reveal came so late through a lot of it i was like i think this i was like this is might be like the only plot hole that bothers me of like why even bother having these poor people on the train like why didn't they just throw them out in the snow a -hmm. long time ago and open up some space in the train so i was very happy when they revealed that they were keeping these people because as things break on the train they need humans. They to need humans to like human manually, <laughs> and only children can fit into these compartments. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I liked that. I thought that was good. Um. Also, speaking of reviewers thinking that it was illogical and unbelievable, I think the most unbelievable aspect of this movie is that everybody in the world would actually agree that we need to do something about climate change. <laughs> <laughs> to even make this a possibility. <laughs> uh, That's the most unbelievable thing. <laughs> I also find it unbelievable that some dude can just build a train that uh, like goes, goes around, around the, the world. world in a year, which I was thinking about that. I feel like that would actually be not that fast of a train. Yeah. Like, I guess it depends on how much of the world you see, but it seemed like it stuck to pretty much Northern Hemisphere cities for that brief moment that we saw the Mm -hmm. map. And, um, yeah, like, I've taken, you know, a train around Europe, and, Mm -hmm. like, it takes, like, a day to get, like, between major cities. It's a luxury train, though. The journey is the point. Well, that's what I'm saying, (laughs) is, like, it, it shows it going super fast and smashing through ice and stuff uh-huh like that made me curious it, of like the science like i want Mythbusters. like can yeah. a train barrel through a wall of ice i don't know <laughs> i don't know either way seems possible <laughs> but it seems like in reality the train would be going like 20 miles an hour it'd yeah. be a very slow train a very leisurely paced you have train. 365 days to to, to make it uh-huh <laughs> and true. you go 24 hours a day it's very true. No stopping on the maybe in the well. No, the other going. Maybe in the like when Wilford conceived of the train, he he thought of it more as like a 
like a cruise ship where it would stop mm. in lots of different places and it would be like a see the world Maybe. sort of thing. Yeah. But once once the world froze, they just had to keep going. What would what do you think about like uh, like I feel like there's a lot of creative really creative moments in the movie that like feel very unique. Mm-hmm. Like the punishment of the guy who threw the oh, shoe. Yes, that was fantastic where they stick his so uh, a guy in the back of the train throws a shoe at the Tilda Swinton character and well not at the Tilda Swinton character when they come to take their children to make them be the literal cogs of a train uh and their punishment is that they stick his arm out a hole on the train so that it'll freeze and then they literally just shatter it with a hammer Mm -hmm. uh I liked that um and I also really liked the reveal of um of how when they first got on the train, they at, at the tail of the train, they were like eating people mm-hmm. to survive. And that somebody like was like, oh, I'll, I will cut off my own arm if it means you won't eat these babies, <laughs> which very dark. Yeah. But um, I really liked because when after they freeze that one guy's arm and shatter it with the hammer, all these other like older stumpy people come forward to mm-hmm. like help him out and i was like oh these must be other people whose arms and legs have been stuck out of the train like that's just mm-hmm. what i assumed had happened which maybe some of them is that but then when it's revealed oh no like these are the people who are still in- alive on this train who now have an umbrella for an arm <laughs> that were literally <laughs> cutting their arms off yes. so that people wouldn't starve like oh this movie was just Wilds, like <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to bleep that. <laughs> uh. Like I was totally into it the whole time, and like people complain, like you say about like there's no living quarters that we see on the train. Yeah. There's no like food preparation that we see on the train. Like I don't care because I got to see shots of like a sauna on a train yeah. and like a sushi restaurant on a train and a rave on a train. So it just seemed, it's kind of actually like what I wanted Inception to be more like, of mm. like, why not? Let's put, yeah, let's put a pool on a train. <laughs> <laughs> we can do anything. I, yeah, I also like really liked, uh, in the vein of arms being removed, like the reveal of the Chris Evans character that he was the one trying to eat a baby. Mm-hmm. And because so c- 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 it's like, it's so different from what you expect your hero of your mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. It's like, oh, the backstory is like, he was once that like horrible person, horrible because of the circumstances. But yeah, like the person who put their own survival ahead of every survival every like ounce of human decency he killed his best friend's mom because he wanted to eat his best friend like then the best friend dies later in the oh that was so er, earlier than that in the movie when you're finding all this out that also made everything so much more uh so he has not even like a friend like a almost like a little brother like a little brother type character in the movie um He's always like, you know, getting rowdy and he has to tell him like, nah, yeah, you got to wait for the signal. 
um, and you find out that that was the baby he was trying to eat. Uh, it just made it so good reflecting on all the times when the, the mm-hmm. old guy um, who's sort of there, they're like wise elder, the like back of the train shaman <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, tells him like, oh, you know, like he really looks up to you. You got to. Yeah. And, and you can really like see the weight on that character of like, oh, this kid who's like glued to me who looks up to me i tried to eat him (laughs) and i killed his mother (laughs) it's just so dark and like the line that i feel like sticks with you from this movie is like do do you know what i hate about myself that i know what humans taste like that i know that babies are the best (laughs) it was like oh my but then i also wonder i was like would they really be the best? Mythbusters. <laughs> Mythbusters. Bust this for us. What kind of humans uh, tastes the best? Science. But, yeah, like I feel like the, that is just, like it It goes to such extremes in every direction. Like it really just like cannibalism and yeah, just yeah. super dark. Uh, and then like super funny stuff too. Yeah, of, there was like really good like humor w- moments when they're like fighting this horrifically bloody like axes and knives fight in a train car, and there people are getting stabbed and crushed and hit in the face with axes, and then all of a sudden they're like three two one uh-huh. and then everybody pauses because it's like new year's, year's yeah it's like the celebration of the train going around in a year and I, everybody's like oh man getting older like uh, uh-huh. oh jeez. <laughs> and then it's like oh fight back on Gone. yeah i really liked i think this movie was like a really good example of like if you're gonna make bold choices you gotta make bold choices Mm -hmm. like it just went so like if you had taken any one of these which again against the people who were hating on this movie in the imdb reviews like if you had kept one of these elements as strong as it was presented in this movie and tried to ground everything else more realistically i don't think it would feel like as strong of a movie like Mm -hmm. it went balls to the wall on everything in a very stylistic fashion mm-hmm. that makes it, like you said, just very interesting and feel very unique. And it knows that it's the main goal of the story is social commentary. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't need to, it needs to be like grounded in the reality of the human experience, mm-hmm. not in the reality yeah. of our world. Of the circumstances. Yeah. Like it's, it's like a fairy tale. It's yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's supposed to it's make you ask you a question about morality. There's not really a yeah a beast or a princess or a <laughs> any of those things. Like that's not the point of it. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I really liked that. And if they had tried to make it totally realistic, it I feel like it would have been one of those movies that just was like, meh. Like this is another post-apocalyptic vampire zombie natural disaster (laughs) movie Mm -hmm. of a ton that come out every single year and none of which are very interesting so yeah so i think it's safe to say that you liked it oh i did like this movie (laughs) oh going going back for a second to the scene in the train car where they're having the like axe battle (laughs) 
really gorgeous shots, like specifically in that scene. Yeah. Like I loved where they like slowed it down and as they're like going through this tunnel, you just get this little glimpse of light that's coming through in through the windows of the train. Mm -hmm. So you see that like rotating just slice of light panning over like a head, a like chopped off arm. Yeah. Like that was so gorgeous to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really like creative cinematography. Yeah. Like it seems like that would be really challenging too when you're like confined by the idea of like this is in a train car. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think um, I, I mentioned it. Uh, in the first part of this episode, but like this was a movie that walking out of, I was like, what did I just see? Like that yeah, was, that, that was, was different. That was <laughs> amazing. Like it was just so unique. It like, I feel like you don't get movies like that every, mm-hmm. you know, six months, 12 months where you just walk out and you go like, wow, like that. <laughs> I was just, <laughs> I was just taking on a ride for uh-huh. a wholly unique story. Yeah. And uh, I, th- I think that that is definitely something special. What was the special. studio that made this? Um, do, you, do you happen to remember off the top of your head? I don't remember off the top of my head. Let me pull it up. I did, however, see uh, while it was starting, I think I, I characterized it in the last part as being like a guy has an idea and makes a movie. I did see it was based off of like a novel like a or a short story. Or, yeah, or something. exactly. Uh-huh. So it was based off of a, a, an original story, but it's just that. Like, it's an original story. It's not a new iteration mm-hmm. of Spider-Man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's what w- was really enjoyable about it for me is the originality behind it. Let's see. Interesting. It had, such, it had a really slow burn, like, opening weekend, only $171,000, but worldwide ended up almost 90 million um man i can't find yeah i can't either i feel like surely somewhere it lists like a credit sequence sound department special effects anyway the question is it seems like kind of a a movie that would be rough to pitch of like just go with me on this with like how committed it is to Oh, it's based on a French graphic novel. Oh, a French. Oh, I'd be kind of interested in that. Um, like it's so committed to its surrealist vision that it seems like it'd be a rough pitch to make. So the production companies, uh, it looks like the biggest, the biggest one is a Czech company called Still King Films. Hmm. Um, but it was distributed by the Weinstein company, which makes sense because despite Harvey Weinstein probably spending the rest of his life in prison, um, the Weinstein company for the last like 15 years has been the distribution company of basically every critically acclaimed movie, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like every good movie, uh, the Weinstein Company. I feel like they're they're just all over the place. So anyway, all that being said, yeah, not n- no major studios. It wasn't a Lionsgate Cinema, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Yeah, don't be hitting on Lionsgate. <laughs> it it would be it would be an interesting uh-huh. one to pitch. I think 
uh, I would wonder... benefit from having the visuals mm-hmm. of the graphic novel. Yeah, I was thinking too, this was also coming out directly in the wave of like the Hunger Games divergent hype of like these two other dystopian movies that were like hot with the kids. Um, I guess might have so. made it easier yeah. to pitch a dystopian. <laughs> yeah, I train guess movie. so. I it was really under the radar. Like like I, I mentioned, I don't know if I I don't know if Future Me cut out the part where we were trying to look up the production company and I mentioned offhandedly that uh-huh. it only had um it only made $170,000 on its opening weekend. So that's a really really slow start. Mm-hmm. Usually movies that do that much die very quickly. Yeah. And I remember like it was way 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 under the radar and like second or third weekend like somebody mm-hmm. that I know saying that I needed to go see it. See it. So it, it definitely was one of those movies it appears that was like uh nobody was interested in it until like the first the first few people saw it yeah. and were like Wow, that was really incredible. <laughs> I did not expect that at all. It looks like this was also um, the director-screenwriter's first English-language film. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that is very impressive. So, I, yeah, I think when I was looking at his IMDb page before, the only other one I had heard of was Okja, mm-hmm. O-K-J-A. And I remember seeing something about it. I don't know. Like, I remember just that seeing that name. Like, I've seen the name on mm-hmm. a movie poster before. Yeah, that before. looked familiar to me, too, when I but saw I that. But I don't know anything about it. I don't know Maybe if we it's should watch it. animated. <laughs> it could be an animated film. It could be in English. It could be in Korean. I don't know. So, anyway, all that to say... Sounds like you liked it. Mm-hmm. You basically covered the IMDb review. We covered a lot of what you predicted. Was there anything that you want to change? Was there any script doctory moments for you that you're like, hmm. you know what? Upon reflection, I think it would have felt better if. I don't think so. I think I like this movie exactly as is. I think it did exactly what, what was his name? Boone. Boone, was that his name? Bong. What Junho Bong set out to do. I think he accomplished it. Um, mm-hmm. It was... I don't know that I've seen another movie as grotesque as this one that also has just such a sense of whimsy. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was a very bizarre combination and one that I really really enjoyed and i feel like it has such a sense of whimsy not in a way that like feels odd or disingenuous Mm -hmm. like it all it all works really well yeah yeah i totally agree um i feel like that is like a special thing in a movie and even for you to get there after they get to like the final act of the movie 
and it feels like it really, really feels like the movie is almost over and you're like, it's still got 40 minutes uh-huh. left. And I was like, yeah, that does feel weird, weird that it has 40 minutes left. And it's still like that 40 minutes goes by very quickly. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a long 40 minutes because uh, the the pacing of everything along the way, the like it's as much as it has action and stuff, so much of the movie is people having conversations. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just, I really, I, I, I couldn't agree more that like. Like that classroom scene was so good. Like it oh, was so good. <laughs> yeah. You, you, for, for, if you didn't watch along with us, uh, at one point they go into a classroom with children who are being indoctrinated into Wilfred's into like the, the sacred train yeah. mythology. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the mythology of the mighty Wilfred that invented the train and saved us all. And they had like the little song of like, without Wilfred's train, we'd all freeze and die. <laughs> yes. It was so good. Uh, oh, man. It was really, really good. And uh, oh, man, I like I this isn't my all time favorite movie. I really, really like this movie. Um, but I feel like it's something special when you can mm-hmm. genuinely walk away from a movie and say, there is nothing. Like, this is the best possible version of this of movie. Of this movie, yeah, I agree. Like, that is a very special place. To, like, it isn't... Uh, like, we haven't watched The Departed, and that's a movie that I've said for a long time is in my top five. Same with The Fighter. It's way up there. I love those movies. Something in those movies just strikes a chord with me. And I think they're better movies than this movie. But this movie is 100% the best version of this movie that could possibly exist. Yeah, I I think that's a really good way to put that. Because I really, really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was a really good movie. It can't, like white like it doesn't feel like a cinematic masterpiece the way that like we both really enjoyed like for instance like three billboards and it has Mm. like such character development so rich it asks questions Uh of you in a different way that an allegory does Uh but like it asks very like direct questions about like Mm -hmm. And it's like those things, like that sort of rich character development that puts a movie like Three Billboards on like another plane. And it just doesn't fit in a movie like this. Totally. So I think you're totally right. The requirements of Mm -hmm. the actor. Yeah. Like all of the actors have to be so multidimensional in Three Billboards. The casting has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And it was. It was a very good movie. But but yeah, in this one, it's like you only need one character to be multidimensional in the mm-hmm. whole movie. Yep. And it's perfect. Yep. <laughs> Just the way it is. Yeah. So I really I really like that phrasing of it. This is the best possible version of this movie. If you changed anything, it would be a different movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, and probably I, not as successful. <laughs> totally. It would not have been it wouldn't be the I guess cult classic that it is now. Like it still wasn't like a a billion dollar franchise movie Mm -hmm. i think they might be making a tv show based off of it so i guess somebody is trying to turn on that ip Uh now but 
uh, yeah, it definitely that's just, there. There's just something like I feel like the same way about Dumb and Dumber. Very much not a cinematic masterpiece, but like the best possible version of that, of that movie. movie. <laughs> uh, that's just great. Like that makes any movie extremely enjoyable because you know that like like there isn't another movie in the same category as this movie mm-hmm. that has like a lot of overlap that is nearly as good as yeah. what you just saw. This movie made me a little bit salty. I'm not as much of a movie person as you are. Mm-hmm. And this movie made me a little bit salty that we're living in the current mm. cinema wasteland of another superhero movie or another photorealistic CGI mm-hmm. <laughs> version of a Disney classic. I'm like, why aren't more people going out on limbs and making snow piercers, <laughs> just weird movies like snow piercer. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I want to see more weird movies. I feel like in the late 2010s, mm-hmm. early 20 or the late 20 O's, I guess early 2010. <laughs> so like when i first started really getting in movies like 2006 through like me graduating college in like 2013 like i feel like there was a lot a lot of good movies and in the so the thing that's dying the problem is there's really good small budget movies like manchester Mm -hmm. by the sea had a huge renaissance last you know two three three years ago Mm -hmm. i guess and that was a relatively small budget film it had big actors and it had casey affleck in it um and it was amazon was behind it and amazon's the wealthiest Mm -hmm. you know company in the world but uh but like small movie cinema uh is doing doing really well Mm -hmm. and winning a lot of awards. A lot of the award-winning movies we see now are that small-budget film. And then big-budget movies are doing as as good as they have ever done. Uh, The movies like that have like $200, $300 million budgets are raking in billions of dollars. And uh, what's died is the movie like Snowpiercer, that has like a thirty million dollar budget and is gonna make that like if mid-level. it's lucky a mm-hmm. mil- hundred million dollars. Yeah, that mid level. What what studios want is they want to take a risk on a one a one to five million dollar movie that it becomes Manchester by the Sea and gets ran for three months before award season in every movie theater across the country, and they can literally like multiply their original investment by like a hundred or they want to play it really safe and hire the best turn out and the best superhero graphical artists in the world and make just a big old superhero movie (laughs) and the realistic lion movie (laughs) and we've lost the in between we get a few do you feel like the renaissance the current renaissance of tv also makes so yes movie makers less interested in making risky ventures totally that aren't as cheap. totally i think that's the other side of the coin is 
is as studios are wanting either to go the Blumhouse route where you're where they mainly make horror movies but not exclusively Mm -hmm. but like they're all every single one of their movies is super low budget Mm -hmm. but then they have a few of them that make hundreds of millions of dollars like um what was was the their the first their first big hit uh uh is the couple buys the house and the house is possessed or something but it's like the couple filmed it. You're like watching them in their oh, house. Paranormal activity. Yeah, paranormal activity. I was activity. like, a couple buys a house and it's haunt and it's possessed. That's like the plot of every, every movie. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... Okay, paranormal activity. The found footage. Yes. Style. The, so paranormal activity. That was like their first, their first like huge success. Mm-hmm. But that's like their method for making the movie. Like we're going to do shoestring budget. We will never go over budget uh on a film and we are going to like on most movies just make our money back but every once in a while we'll have a paranormal activities that made 200 times the amount of money that it costs them to make so uh so you got the blumhouses like that playing in the small markets but then you have everybody else playing in the giant markets Mm -hmm. so the people in the middle you get a few that are making uh like high mid-range movies like three billboards where you got a really big cast it's a prestige piece it's a it's the best known modern irish playwright in the world who's already had two successful movies so like there's not a huge there's enough people that are interested in seeing this right off the bat that you're probably not taking a loss on the movie but I do think everybody that would be interested in making movies in that mid-range category is, if they can, they're trying to go have the next Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones or Mad Men. And and Netflix needs content. Apple needs content. Hulu needs content. Amazon needs content. HBO needs content. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a lot more incentives right now for you as a creator to try to pitch it as a streamable series then totally a movie and and if you're really wanting to do something with character development that's the avenue to go but i feel like something like snowpiercer it would be lost if you tried to it would not be nearly as good over a 15 episode season Mm -hmm. yeah like yeah i think something about it being in that crisp two hours everything's so tight and well-timed like I feel like that's perfect, and I feel like I feel like that about like Quentin Tarantino movies as well, where it's like it's in this box, and you get a couple of hours to open up the box, experience the thing inside the box, and then the box is closed. That's it. It's like it's mm-hmm. it's a little entity. I liked that there was a lot less feet in this movie though than in a Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> You've only seen one Quentin Tarantino movie. The feet speak for themselves does reservoir dogs even have feet oh i'm sure there's feet (laughs) the the feet precede him (laughs) (laughs) um one thing that just came to me about this movie one one tiny nitpicky thing that i had was i think if i were in the writing room of this movie Mm -hmm. going through the edits after the train crashed it like the 
the like camera angle pulled out and she see the wreckage. And I for a second thought it was going to end right there. And I was very excited about that ending. Mm. Of just like. Of just like the straight nihilism of yeah. like. It's like, you're right, man. You're you're right. June. What, what is it? June. June Hobong. You're <laughs> right, June Hobong. Like we are all on a post-apocalyptic train to nowhere. And. <laughs> When given the opportunity to create a utopic train society, we would still mess it up and trap people in the back, and we might as well just flip the train now. (laughs) 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 Because with the, the, the daughter and the little kid getting out and seeing a polar bear, there's going to be food for that polar bear. It's not telling me that there's hope for humanity. That's true. (laughs) Well, they didn't instantly freeze, but yeah, at the same time, uh, I think the implication must be like, oh, if the polar bear's alive, like maybe humans lived or something. I don't know. I think maybe we're just asking too much to read into it. But I do like your idea of like uh, <laughs> the, the train just ending, like it just crashing and the train ending things. Yeah. <laughs> so. It would have seemed like sort of like a bigger or, version of when uh chris evans's character has to like choose between like advancing forward or saving his friend his friend who was also the baby he tried to eat and he like (laughs) chooses advancing forward and it's like oh man like that's not what i i expected to for him to like in this moment like choose that like friendship that like human that that humanity connection over this like a bigger goal so it kind of feels like a distilled like a bigger scale of that of like no we can't find the humanity we gotta crash the train (laughs) what if the train crashes and the two characters they survive they're in the train they need to get out they climb up through the hole and that's all we see we don't know if they instantly I would have liked that better than what they gave me, but I still would have liked the just... Don't know if anybody's alive. It's over. <laughs> but I think w- one thing that that would accomplish in what thing that it probably is trying to accomplish is like, as long as... Uh, as long as people have... Like, as long as people exist, basically in circumstances like they'll try to Just survive survive they'll try to mm-hmm. uh yeah either face the elements or face the oppressor mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah it's a, it's a tale as old as time it's a tyrant oppressing let's see i i think that message still would have gone across though if the train crashed and that was it because they did all of this to stand up to their like the Chris Evans character did all this to stand up to the oppressor and the security engineer did all this to try to get out of the train. And in the end, neither of it mattered. But I don't think the message is don't fight. Nothing matters. (laughs) That's what I want the message. to be. That's but that's exactly what mm. you called it. It's that's it's nihilism. That that this isn't pro a pro nihilism, nihilism allegory. No, it's not. This is a a pro 
oppressed people's allegory. <laughs> Get off the train. <laughs> Get off the train. Uh, oh, man. Well, thank you for listening along, all you out there. Uh, we really appreciated you Wait, listening. Wait, we haven't got my rankings. You haven't even I'm asked transitioning. Me. Oh, sorry. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> thank you for listening out there. We really appreciate you coming on this journey with us. This train ride. This train ride. Katie, as we're wrapping up today, <laughs> how would you like to update your rankings? So I would give this movie, on a scale of overall quality of movie, I'm giving this movie a seven. Okay. On a scale of watchability, I'm giving this movie a 10. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that? I really enjoyed watching this movie. It was so fun. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it so much. I did. I'm glad I stopped you when I realized that you just turned it on. Yeah, I don't think the train ride would have been as fun alone. <laughs> I don't think so either. Yeah. So now ranking it amongst my other movies this feels very difficult. Mm-hmm. Where do I want to put it? Well, we'll start easy. So Fight Club staying at the bottom. Okay. Directly above it, The Matrix. Yep. Next, Inception. Okay. So it, this is this is where it's getting challenging because... For any new I, listeners, <laughs> we have a big board where we rank all of our, the movies that we have watched so far. Uh, my rankings... Go number one, Stand By Me. Number two, Friends With Kids. Number three, Bring It On. Katie's were just what she said in reverse order. Fight Club, then The Matrix. Inception at number two currently. Mm -hmm. And then your current number one is Star Wars from the very mm -hmm. first episode that we made together. Mm -hmm. Still at number one, but now you have to fit Snowpiercer. Yes, this is very challenging because I have only seen a single Star Wars of the Star Wars. Well, you can re you can rank other movie like you could have. You're saying that could move the first Star Wars up in later in light of future Star Wars that sure. I also see. Sure, mm, when you okay. watch another Star Wars, like. Say episode five, The Empire Strikes Back, is so mind-blowingly good that you not only want to move it to the top, you also it made your fondness for the original Star Wars that Even much greater. stronger that you also want to bring it up. All I right. will allow that. All right. If you are... <laughs> All right. If you are making the decision that I can move up movies after they've been demoted once I gather more information about their greater context mm -hmm. from future movies in the series. I think, I think I, cause I'm putting this in the context of like, if somebody is coming over a friend of mine mm -hmm. and they haven't seen any of these movies either, which is the one I want them to watch first with me. 
am I going to, which of these DVDs am I going to pull out of the box? That's a great way to measure this. So I, I'm doing it. I am dying on the Snowpiercer Hill. <laughs> and I am ranking John Boon's Snowpiercer number one. <laughs> Air horns. All right. Bringing, New number one. Bringing my rankings to number one, Snowpiercer. Number two, Star Wars. Number three, Inception. Number four, The Matrix. And number five, Fight Club. All right. Well, look at what we got here. A brand new first place. Yeah, this is the first time <laughs> a movie has been moved from first place. That's right. Our first high-level drop. First dethroning. Yes, it is bitter. But, <laughs> but I got to give it. Uh, so... If you want to join us again in about three weeks on your favorite podcast app, we will be bringing you another coming-of-age tale now and then. Are you excited, Justin? I'm very excited. Are you still confusing it with candies? <laughs> yeah, the taffy. Yeah, every time I've brought up this movie, you're like, <laughs> now and later? You really want it to be called Now and Later. I do. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that just about does it for this episode. I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. If you're not following us on Instagram, do so at My Spouse Made Me Watch It on Instagram. And feel free to drop us a DM about a movie that you think we would both enjoy. Yeah, we'd love to introduce a new a new version of our listeners made us watch it. So yeah. if you have a movie that you would like us to watch, slide into those DMs. And uh, we may one day get to it. We just need to compile a list first and decide. Make sure neither of us have seen it. We haven't seen these. So uh, <laughs> awesome. Well, Katie, thank you for being such an amazing wife. And enjoying Snowpiercer with me. Thank you. And good night. Hey. (laughs) It's mine. Sorry. Thanks for listening. And good night.